Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to like this, it would help us out if you went and said so. If you didn't like it, uh, don't do anything. And <laughs> we would love if you subscribe to our pod. Thanks for listening. And welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm here again with Victoria. So excited to have you here. And we are talking to Rodrigo Coutinho, who's a co-founder of OutSystems and is a PM for Artificial Intelligence. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Thank you so much for inviting me. Very excited. Yeah. I mean, what a topic, right? Generative AI, developers, low-code tooling, just understanding where we are in 2023. And like any good journey, I want to hear about you. I want to hear how you started. And we had a little conversation off camera before I started recording about Commodore and the riot and, you know, being, uh, having Amiga 500s and things like that. So can you just talk a little bit about your journey how did you first get that excitement, that passion for tech? Because you've had such an amazing career and you are a co-founder of this amazing company. So talk to me a little bit about how that journey began. Oh, well, like so many of us, it started with the Spectrum, right? So oh, wow. uh, I, did, I never yeah. actually had one, but, but my friends did have it and we would all go to their place and play and, and all the games and everything. Yeah. But, but from very early, I, I actually found it very interesting to develop programs on, on, the, on the spectrum. Uh, yeah. So, of course, like everyone, it started with the books that had the pre-made games and you would copy them and see what happened. But I also like to invent my own programs uh, and especially to learn better ways to do stuff. So that was how I started. I was very yeah, excited. Yeah, and for folks who don't it. know. Although I think a lot of our audience will know, but the, the Spectrum, uh, it had 16K, right? Rodrigo, I, I, I yep. believe. And it was all basic, right? That you were mm -hmm. coding it? Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, so, it started like that. Uh, until, the day I, until the day I finally got my own computer, I started with uh, 8088. So it was a PC1 from Olivetti. Yeah. 4.77 megahertz. Uh... I think it was eight megahertz, but maybe. I mean, it's been a while. No, that so. was the AT. That was the eighty eighty six. So the oh, okay, okay. The XT. So the one. Yeah. Got yep. it. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it had just mine had a single drive at the at the time, so yeah. very low memory, six hundred and forty k, and yeah. all of that. And it was kind of a shock to me because I never had seen a PC in my life. It was like my first computer. I was used to the Spectrum and all. But I started learning fairly quick and, and getting in contact with this community. So in my high school, there were a few other people that had PCs and we started exchanging ideas, uh, software and all of that. So that's how, how it all started with wow. this enthusiasm. And this was, out, this was outside of the US, right? Correct. This is in Portugal. I live in Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, and so this was happening uh, all over here. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful country. So... You went, you know, you, you had that passion 
you're learning how to actually code at a very early age, and then the internet comes along. Yes, so the internet showed up in my life when I got into college. Uh, it, it, it was really very interesting that the two things were, were combined. So I learned all about the internet. My first access from home to the internet was actually dialing up to the university and getting that access. Uh, yeah. Before that, I actually had to drive to the university to use uh, to use the the internet, which was a, a fairly small bandwidth if you think about it. Uh, but yeah, it started like that, and and I don't know, I just got very passionate about discovering things about the way machines work. Uh, I think I was very lucky uh, because there there are those people that feel they didn't learn anything useful in university. But because of the business I'm in, I actually got to use everything that I learned in university. Yeah. Compilers, mathematical concepts, uh, programming theory, all of that. It's something that when you are building a, a low-code platform, you need to know and you need to use. Yeah. Were you doing linked lists and binary trees? Did you do uh, a binary uh, tree sort at work? I oh, never really? did one at work, <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but I did do an in-memory interpreter. So, so Oh, wow. Look at you. At work. That's so amazing. Not only in college, I actually got to use that knowledge in my, in my professional life. I love that. And you, know, you, you just brought back a memory for me, too. Uh, in college, uh, I went to uh, NGIT uh, in, in Newark, New Jersey, and there was a VAX VMS system that people may... Uh, remember back in the day, which is this mainframe system. And I, same thing, I had to actually sit at a terminal to be able to do it. And it was amazing the day that they allowed dial-up that I could go in through a VT100 terminal to get into the VAX VMS system to download Doom over FTP <laughs> so that I could play. <laughs> so keep that passion and that excitement for technology. I love that. So that brings us to the current day. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about OutSystems and what you do uh, in your role for leading AI? Sure. So, so OutSystems is a software company, and we deliver a low-code platform uh, that allows companies to build web and mobile applications very fast. And uh, we, we're talking about high-performance applications. So it's all about making sure these are enterprise-grade, uh, that have uh, all the non-functional requirements you would expect in terms of scale, security, and all of that. And my role is uh, fitting AI into all of this. And there are essentially three main parts I'm focused on. One of them is making sure our customers can use AI in the applications they build. So uh, low-code AI for everybody to use. Then there's the part in using AI to help developers be more efficient, build better applications. Uh, and finally, there's AI to support the entire life cycle. So it's not only about develop developing the application, then you need to maintain the application, you need to make sure it's secure, that you don't have a lot of technical debt, all of that, and AI can play a very significant role on all of that. So Rodrigo, you just mentioned uh, terminology, low code, but I found that a lot of developers actually a bit confused what that means. Like, what you code less, you code with small letters. <laughs> Can you tell a little bit more about this? All right. So low code is, is actually a software development approach where the idea is that you create applications with minimal hand coding. So instead of typing in the code like you do in traditional code, 
you have a visual language. And so you, you do diagrams and you do designs that then translate into a full-fledged enterprise application. So typically you have a graphical editor where you have a what you see is what you get editor for screens. You have flow editors for the business logic. You have stuff like entity uh, relationship diagrams for the database. And that's what, what we call low code. Okay, well, I, I really like it. You know, I am a huge supporter of low code, and I had the privilege of working with you and other partners at AWS in the low code space. And personally, I found it very, really great working in, with low code application development because for me, uh, the most important thing that I treasure is my time. And it helps me Absolutely. to develop the prototypes much faster. Right, so if I can save time, then I'm really, uh, you know, a big supporter of the product. But it's uh, what's interesting now, right? With the rise of generative AI, we kind of see that we have this from one side low code application platform, from the other side AI code companions, and we can see that both of them are helping to democratize software development, right? So how do you see? Those two things playing together, mm-hmm. are do you, do you see them like competing with each other or working hand in hand? How can we le- really leverage low code and Gen AI for software development? Very good. So, so I, I would challenge that they have the same goal, uh, just uh, in the sense of de- democratizing development. Uh, I think both of them do work to increase the productivity of developers, but to use Gen AI tools to, for traditional code, you still need to be an expert. So even though a lot of the work is done by the machine, uh, you, you do still need to go ahead, be able to read what was created, understand it, adapt it to your own needs and, and, and change it. Because I mean, the, the first version of the application is, is just that, is just the first version. Users will always want to change it. You always need to make adaptations. To be truly differentiating and unique, you need to go there and, and, and to the nitty-gritty details and adapt the application. So I, I, I think GenAI brought a huge boost in productivity for traditional developers, but they do still need to know what they're doing. So I don't think it, it's, it has the benefit of bringing technology closer to people with less skills. Uh, on the other hand, I do believe that low code does that. So, so the fact that you have a visual representation and, and even more with the help of Gen AI, now you can create examples to show junior developers or people just getting started with low code, what they are capable of doing and giving them that inspiration. We are very confident that this will bring them uh, and it will bring more people that with less computer science skills uh, into the industry so they can build their own applications. So that's actually something we're very excited because whenever you bring a new group of people, new things happen, new ideas show up that we can never imagine as the creators of the of the platform. So I'm very curious about that. Interesting. So just to summarize, so you were saying with generative AI, it really helps senior software developers to become more productive, but it's not going to help citizen developers to build applications. At least as it is right now, I, I believe that's the case. Yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's, 
you don't know what you don't know. And as I've gone through this, the more that I'm using, you know, Code Whisperer and other tools, I feel like I'm a dev manager now. So I'm a team of one and I know what I want. I think this happens in any trade skill. You know, you could be doing anything and you've been doing it so long, you know what needs to be done. You're, you, you've built up those neural pathways. It's the execution. And usually you have a team underneath you. And for me, what uh, exactly what you're saying is within specific domains, right? So I do feel like within generative AI, a specific coding domain is a great example, right? You don't want everything, but with these LLMs, like uh, specifically, I'm going to write a program for this. There's only so much within that domain. So it becomes very valuable in that specific space. And to be able to sit, to think in terms of, oh, I need some file IO. Oh, I need to set up this infrastructure. Oh, I need to do, you know, try catch blocks, or I need to actually, you know, think about ways that I'm encapsulating the logic. You usually have that. If you've been, if you've been coding even just, you know, a year, you kind of know that as a human being, this is how I think in the process. And what it's enabled you to do is to then change that thought into code. And I found that in, incredibly valuable where I was like, hey, I know, I, I gosh, I can't tell you how many languages from uh, <laughs> you're talking about Commodore, right? So basic. And then I was in Java. I used to write, I had like Java books in the early days. And then I switched to C sharp and then, you know, kind of went back as JavaScript was getting bigger, especially with node and things and then doing some Python. It's like, I can't tell you the specific syntax, but I can tell you the logic. And so being able to say, I just did this the other day. I was asking for Rust. I did a choose your own adventure game, you know, talking about 80s and coming. I did a choose your own adventure game in Rust. Uh, and I'm talking to the LLM and then I'm like, okay, I want you to actually create this now to a file and set all my strings for the different pathways I'll go. You know, where's the dragon? You know, you get the dagger for the dragon and all of that. And then I was like, take this. And then I want to put this in an S3 bucket. And it was just boom, 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 boom. And so having someone who understands the language of creating software, that was incredibly powerful. But if I've never written software before, I wouldn't know what to ask. <laughs> so I love the way that you put that. And, and I, I also liked what you mentioned about us turning or, or developers turning into uh, managers. It's, it's very interesting. It's something I've been thinking a lot about uh, because team, team leads specifically have a big chunk of their job is to look at code done by their juniors and making sure it's okay right. and that it fits the requirements and that it has the quality and so on. And, and that's one of the th impacts I believe Gen AI will have in the life of a developer. It will change the role to go one step up. And so instead of you being an individual contributor, the individual contributor is the Gen AI and you are the team lead that will make sure everything is all yes. right. So, yes. so that's also a very interesting perspective, and and I think we we are moving in that direction. Yeah. So we already seen the impact of Gen AI in traditional software development, right? Where we start using uh, English to create code. And I saw somewhere recently article where they're saying, well, English will become the most popular programming language, which I found quite interesting. So I'm really curious to know how Gen AI is uh, transforming low-code space and how it's being used now in low-code. 
So I think it's not the, the language that is used to develop with Gen AI is not really English. So, so it, it seems like it, but you do need to learn the dialect. And, and that's why right now you have courses on prompt engineering and all of that is because you need to learn in a way that the machine can understand what you're saying. So even though the words are the same, uh, you, you don't really talk to it as you would talk to a person. So there, there's kind of a, 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 of a difference here. And I think this is important because this is, we were talking about the democratization of software development. And this is an example of a barrier, right? The fact that you need to learn, it's not as complicated as C Sharp for sure, or, or, or JavaScript, but, it, but it's a language that you need to learn in order to be able to develop. And, and that's one of the things that gets me excited when, when instead of thinking traditional code, we move to low code is because we have this benefit where we have a visual language that we can use to communicate with the machine and for the machine to communicate with us. And so one of the things we, we are doing and one of the prototypes we have that we just showed at our conference is of a, an application editor where instead of you having to type what you want and then the machine gives you the result, the machine gives you suggestions. So we use Gen AI to produce a set of suggestions and we show them visually. So you don't need to know what to type. Uh, you don't need to understand the specific language. You don't even need to know what you want. You get visual inspiration on stuff that can happen to your application based on all of the knowledge we were able to gather for, from more experienced developers, from uh, other designers and so on. So I, I think that's a, a big difference between using Gen AI with traditional code versus low code. And, and I'm, again, I'm super excited to see what comes out of it and how people will use this, this magic to, to do work. Yeah, I think also a lot of developers are now a bit worried about Gen AI or even a low code, right, taking their jobs. Um, so what's your view on how Gen AI and low code transform the way developers work? Do you feel that it makes perhaps software development more accessible to people? Can, let's say, non-technical person become a low-code application developer? So, so that's our goal, uh, is, is to allow non-technical people to develop their own applications. But I don't think that means that the, the role or the jobs of software development will go away. We have a huge backlog of things to do. And, and some of those things are more related with business applications. And that's where citizen developers can come to the rescue, right? They have the business knowledge, they can build the applications and they can use these tools, local development tools to build applications on their own together with Gen AI. And that leaves uh, software developers with a computer science degree, the time and the availability to work on, on much harder problems on things that are not thought of to be solved by low code, deep integrations with hardware, developing games, uh, developing connectors that integrate multiple technologies. So there are a lot of interesting challenges that right now software developers cannot tackle because they're busy building business applications that could be done with just drag and drop with a low code tool. So I, I think there's, there's space for everybody here and there's enough work to be done. And probably these new applications will generate even more work that can only be accomplished by uh, people that have the, the knowledge and, and the, 
and the skill of a software developer. But again, the, the nature of the work might shift a bit. Like we were talking, this, this notion that instead of you having to spend hours typing line of code after line of code, probably the nature of your job will be more looking at code generated by AI, reviewing, making sure uh, everything is fine, that it doesn't have security issues and all, all of those things that you would do as a, as a tech lead. Yeah, and I have, so here's something I'm going to share. And hopefully the people that are listening, go try this because it's been incredibly productive. And maybe I'm giving you a secret that uh, I, I haven't seen this outside, but I, this is me. You know, I find out something cool and I just want to share it. So not that anybody couldn't do this naturally, but for me as a parent, the encouraging of my children to take that and put that into these LLMs has been incredibly productive in the output that I actually see. And so what do I mean by that? Saying things like, you are very good at what you do actually makes the output better. And it's such a human thing. So I'll say, I'll give an example of writing and I'll put a style and I'll say, you are this role. So it's the role playing. And I'll say, you're very good at what you do. Can I actually make the code even better? And it's, it's, it's weird, right? It's like, I shouldn't say weird. It's beautiful because it's so human and I haven't seen this yet. And it's what I do naturally in real life, in just telling people when I just see how great they are at things, just reminding them that they're really good at what they do. I'll give you another example of when my kids would do something wrong or they would lose something. And I would say, let's take it step by step. Let's go back. Let's trace what happens. One of the, if I had to give you advice right now in the fall of 2023, if you want to get a really great response out of a prompt is to say something like, Let's take this step by step in order to make sure we're right. And what will happen is it'll actually analyze it and it will go back and it'll be like, this was my thought process. This is why, how I wrote this code. This is, and how that's been able, like, it's, it seems like magic. It's, it's such a human thing to say, but as you go through, it's that, that nurturing and that encouraging and that just making sure things are correct and the why will make your prompts so much better. And when you were talking about English, that made me think about this too, you know, because it's like, it's, it's that conversation. And as somebody who, you know, spent a lot of time in the NLU side coming from Alexa, when I think about how we were done, you know, designing user experiences based on modalities of keeping conversation and understanding the things that weren't said. You know, when, when we have conversations as a human being, we all know, uh, as we're listening to this, what day of the week it is. We know what year it is. We know the climate of the world, right? We know all of these things that AI hasn't known. And that became so important into the output. And so bringing that stuff back as you're having these conversations, even when it comes to writing uh, code, I found to be in incredibly powerful. Okay, so I love thank what you, you said. so much for your tips. I'm going to try it. Yeah, <laughs> let me know, Victoria. I'm looking forward to your Slack message later about it. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's because because it, then it, it, it even brings the whole team leading analogy to, uh, to a greater level, because that's exactly how you should treat a, a team when you work with people. So, so right. that's perfect. <laughs> that's how you allow people to learn themselves. 
you know, is in to improve instead of just giving somebody the answers, allowing them to come to the answers themselves is incredibly powerful as a teaching tool, you know, and I found it's the same with this. And maybe that's because these LLMs and generative AI is truly a reflection of us and how we learn, you know, and our intricacies, which is the most fascinating piece to me. It's a mirror in, in some respects, you know. Rodrigo, I want to follow up on something that you mentioned earlier. You said, well, there's really a lot of work for everybody, right? Whether it's software developers focusing on components, game development, and low-code application developers focusing more on business applications. Can you perhaps expand a little bit more and talk about what's really the purpose of low-code? What type of application is good to build using low-code? And maybe what type of application are not so good to build using these platforms? Very good. Uh, so typically, the local platforms address a type of application, uh, and they are designed for that to help people do, do those applications. Uh, most local platforms you'll see, and OutSystems is a, a, one of them, will focus on building business applications and, and, and of various types. So, for instance, some applications that we've done with OutSystems include business-to-consumer applications like uh, home banking, or internal systems like uh, uh, CRMs, and even some more complex systems like billing engines and, and things like that. But as you can see, they're, they're always tied to the business. As you go further away from that, of course, it would still be possible, but it becomes harder and harder. So for instance, if you want to develop a game, that's something that OutSystems is not designed to do. So you can do it, but it will be a bit more painful. Uh, or if you have strong integrations with hardware, or if you have very low level integrations where you need to go to, to really the package level and things like that. So it depends a bit on the level of the low code uh, tool, but typically it's about business applications. And of course, that, those things can change depending on the, on the requirements and all. But I would say business, anything that can be on your mind to support, make it differentiating, making it custom, because that's another important thing. The idea of low-code tools is to build custom applications, because if they're not custom, you can just buy something that's already been done, of course. But anything that's customizable for the business is something that can be built with low-code. Okay. Interesting. So business applications, uh, predominantly. But do you see, perhaps with the race of Gen AI, that there might be some new future possibilities in the future developments that you haven't been before covering? Of course. Uh, and as business evolve, and right now we're actually in the middle of one of those transformations where uh, AI is something that all businesses want to include in their applications. And there is still, there isn't still a low-code platform that, that allows you to build AI-driven applications. Uh, and of course, there's something we're looking into. And so as things evolved, as businesses evolved and this type of need shows up, it's, it's only natural and it will surely happen that local tools will allow people to do this type of applications. Love it. And I, I find it, it's probably rare that people haven't heard of Victoria because you're just doing so many amazing things online. For But for folks who have it, maybe this is the first episode you're listening of this pod. I'm going to include all of your info. But Victoria's audience online is just incredible and her engagement with people and customers, and developers. And so as part of this episode, when we were thinking about doing this, she polled 
her audience on questions that developers are thinking about in this space. So if you're okay with it, Rodrigo, I would love, uh, you know, some of these questions. And it's almost like an ask me anything, but I think it's what we're all feeling. Uh, at, at this point in time, if it would be okay for us to ask some of the questions uh, Victoria's gotten from our audience. Of course, I'm very curious to, to learn what the audience is thinking. So yes, please go ahead. Awesome. Thank you so much. So ask it over 200,000 people and I try to combine two wow. very few questions, <laughs> but I noticed that there were some patterns, right? So one of the questions, of course, on everybody's mind, will AI replace developers? And kind of like, you know, going, I think we all know the answer, but more in details, okay, if it will not replace, if you are now making your way into tech, right, and you want to become developers, what kind of skills you should acquire? Right. Are there the same skills that we just talked earlier on about the binary trees, right? About algorithms? Or there is something else that developers now in this age should be prioritizing? I'm a strong believer that understanding the basics is super important. So don't give up on learning B trees. I, I think it's always useful and it gives you a great foundation to work on. But of course, nowadays, uh, if, if you're getting started, it's, it's really super important that you understand how these tools can help you become more efficient and, and more productive. And, and not only Gen AI, look at the whole landscape, look at low codes. Uh, of course, I'm going to suggest out systems, but just look at the space and understand that the amount of options you have nowadays uh, to, to, to build the things you want to build is is so much broader than than when I started, for instance, where where the options were were much more contained in traditional development. So so my main advice would be learn the basics because that will make it much easier for you to understand what's going on, even if when you go to the higher level uh, stuff. But then make sure to take advantage of all the great tools you have out there. Take a look at prompting, what you, can you do, these suggestions that they gave uh, around uh, making sure uh, you, you give the right information to, to get the right outputs from Gen AI. Take a look at Wellcode, all of that would be my advice. And what will be the best way to start learning? Start do you learning. think computer science degrees are required or you feel like that, you know developers can take boot camps or online education? There is, I think, a big debate in general about this. I am a, a big fan of reskilling. We've had amazing successes in our academy where we took people that were not from a computer science background and we taught them how to use out systems and how to use low code and they have jobs in tech and they are building enterprise applications and they are uh, super happy because of course in most cases it's a much more stable industry than the industry they they were in and, and they are truly happy they discovered the, a new passion in in technology and, yeah. and and to be honest i think that's that's the key thing is is it's very interesting i, I love it when i see p people discovering their passion for technology if you have it you, you can learn anything and, and it will be a breeze for you, for instance, to take one of our courses and understand how to, how to develop an enterprise application, get into the community and the marketplace. So I, I, I really think every story is a story. So it's hard 
uh, of course, I see value in, in a computer science degree. I have one myself and I see a lot of value in it, but it really depends on where you are in your life, what you want to do and so on. So it's, it's definitely not the only path. And these stories that we have of reskilling truly show that no matter how, how far you are in your career, you can always opt to change and, and go into a new one and be successful at it. So it really depends on your personal history. So that's very interesting. Can you tell a little bit more about Reskill? And, and let's say if somebody is interested in starting um, building with low code and learning, where what what are the programs that available for them? And perhaps we can leave some links in the captions of this mm-hmm, podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we have uh, free online courses uh, at OutSystems that you can just go to our website uh, and, and, and take the courses for free. We then do have a, a certification program where you can, you can pay to get an exam to get certified to be a, an official OutSystems developer. And, and then we have our developer relation teams that make sure uh, that, that help pair programmers, so OutSystems developers, with customers or partners that need them. So we, we have all of this job marketplace uh, thought of to make sure that, that people find the right job for, for their skills. So that's a good place to begin. I love that. You know, having a, a, a career like I have, some of the things that I took for granted, and as I'm longer in my career and I get asked by people, when I look back, some things that just intrinsically happened now that I find were incredibly valuable for success. And the one, I, I, I feel like this is, a, this is a huge thing in life, but definitely in tech. When change happens, there's two ways to look at change as a human being. One is to say, oh my goodness, everything I've loved and I've known is gone. And the other way is to say, that's exciting. I can't wait to figure that out. And if you are in the, that's exciting, I can't wait to figure it out, you will go really far in tech. Because in tech, every six months, what you knew is irrelevant. For sure. Like, do you really mean like six months? And for me, I mean, when I grew up, it's this is just, you know, all, all through school and college. And I, I do have some friends I've known for a long time who listen to this podcast, they'll laugh. Uh, they used to call it as Bitsky burnout, where I would just be so excited about something and then within a year, I'd be like, oh, I'm on to something else, right? And it's that, if you're that type of personality type, where you're like, the thing that's happening now is not perfect way to do it. There's always a better way to do it. And then a better way comes along and you can't wait to just learn that and start over again. That is an invaluable skill in tech that'll make you just continue to grow and continue to learn because it's very much... it. it, it in its purest form, it's very much the scientific method, right? It's what we knew and we thought was the right way to do it is no longer applies. We've figured out this better way. And now as I've gotten older, you know, I was uh, a lot of the people who started careers like me, you know, they're CTOs and they're, you know, they're higher up and not to cast judgment on anybody because rightfully so they can feel this way. But when, when we were talking about this wave, they're like, I'm done. I don't get it anymore. And I'm like, you're crazy. I'm like, I'm telling them, and I got them excited and they went changing. I'm like, I'm doing this last night. I'm at, I'm doing these prompts. I'm like, it's so much fun. This is what we've always wanted. It's here now. Like, don't give up that. I, I feel comfortable now. I feel like as a human being, when you, when you, when you reach that point where you, you feel too comfortable, that's where you get stagnant. 
It's the excitement and the joy and the continual learning. These tools are going to change. You know, these, these AI systems are going to change. But if you have that love of figuring out a better way, a more efficient, what you said, Victoria, of using your time more effectively, <laughs> use that as a driver. And then all this stuff is exciting. You know, I can genuinely say I get up every day and I'm like, all right, what do we, what's new today? What stuff's coming today? So I think that's uh, incredibly valuable. And I thank you for pointing that out of, you know, whether you have a degree or not, or, you know, binary tree sorts or any of that, it's really just figuring this out. And these tools can then just become an exciting opportunity to, to do something new. You know, I'm a huge advocate for continuous learning, for training certification. And there are... As someone who has all of the certifications too, at least you did at the time. There's so many new ones coming, but I admire you so much for getting all of those certifications. Yeah, and too. I just want to say, like, I got a lot of questions from developers. What kind of skills do we need? Do we need to still learn the traditional software development? And, you know, my answer is it depends. There are so many different roles, right? Like some, some yeah. roles will require to be more technical. Some roles will not require to be more technical. And I've seen people transitioning to the cloud, right, from different careers. Uh, so there was this example that I, I really found it inspiring. So there's a lady, she transitioned from being a teacher in math, and she's over 60 to cloud. So oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's like it's never too late. No matter what you do now, as you said, if you have a passion, things are changing constantly right so now this whole new thing of generative ai we all are learning right all of this so um i feel like it's never too late never too early and you can always transition no matter what you do now as long as you have a thirst to learn you'll have fun and 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 you don't even need to look only in tech uh just just to give a, a, an example i at, at the point i I understood that what was preventing me from evolving professionally was actually the fact that uh, I had little market knowledge and I was not able to speak in public. And so uh, what I did was instead of looking at solution into technology, I actually moved to the marketing department and, and I, I, I went from being a developer and imagine managing an IT team to being someone in marketing doing content and presentations so that I could have those skills yeah. and learn those skills so then come back and be much more effective at, at the, the thing I was doing. So you, you can, there's a whole world out there to explore and to learn new things. You don't need to, to get boxed into a single place. You know, as some, I know there's friction between marketing and, and service teams, you know, regardless of what company I'm at. And having been in both, I can tell you that what I loved about service teams and, and product orgs was actually just building something. It's so satisfying to actually create and, and, and have something. But what I learned from marketing was my ability to tell a story. And it's so important to actually understand that because you can make the most amazing product, but if you don't relate that to human beings in a way that they can understand and is part of their story. And that's why marketing is so valuable. And I'm not talking marketing that's faces that's like one to a million. I'm talking marketing that's like, you know, this is gonna save you time. This is like, this is, you know, why we made this and we understand you and, and Coraline. So I love that you're, you're bringing those two things together. If you're a developer, 
don't hate your marketing org. And if you're a marketing org, don't hate on your service team. You know, like the two go hand in hand. You're all just trying to build a, you know, a better way of doing things. And I, I think it's great having insight on both sides. Yeah, I would like to finish it with, uh, with a question, Rodrigo, to you. So you are leading now AI development in one of the leading low-code application development platform. So what advice would you give to to our listeners, to developers, to become successful and perhaps, you know, be one day also uh, co-founders and uh, have start their own companies? Uh, very, I think one of the things we touched here right now is very important, is this, in, this always have the curiosity to explore new things, uh, try out new things and keep learning. I think that's one of the best advices we can give to any developer, uh, regardless if if they have an idea to create a company or are just working uh, at, at a company. That curiosity and that will to learn is it, it will drive you through years and years, and it will allow you to have uh, a lot of fun. If if you want to start a company uh, and and you have a great idea and you are uh, doing development in a company and you want you want to build your own. My top advice would do find your your founder soulmate. It's it's, <laughs> it's really funny uh, because I know a lot of people that try to start uh, businesses alone, and there's a, a lot of problems with that. One of them is our own biases. We tend to fool ourselves a lot. The other one is that it's so much easier to keep motivated when you have someone else there. In the case of our systems, we were lucky. There were five of us, so we 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 had a lot of people to lean on and to push and all. Uh, but what I see typically is that just by having someone there that shares your vision, shares your passion, it will help you because one day you'll wake up and you want to give up and the other person is there to lift you up and vice versa, right? And there will be the day where you'll lift that other person. And two brains are always better than one to build your ideas, to to understand your customers. If you have someone to talk to and, and flush out ideas, it's always much easier. And then, of course... My suggestion is if you are building a tech product to use OutSystems to do it, it's a great way to accelerate your work and to deliver something quickly. But that's just the publicity part of it. Yeah. And I, you know, even just the, even in life, right? What you just talked about, about being a founder and starting your business. I am one of those people. Uh, and I, I've had people like, wow, no one's ever said that to me. For me, I double down on my strengths and ignore my weaknesses. You know, you have people say, you know, work on your weaknesses. I feel like what's beautiful about human beings is we're all created different. We all have this different perspective. It's all different dimensions of life. And so I always figure out what I'm always going to be weak at, which is my weakness. And that's who I partner with. So as being a creative, like this podcast, right? It's a labor of love. And I, I, you know, I still edit the stuff myself. I do publish everything myself, but I'm this scatterbrained creative type. I'm an intuitive feeling type. And I can, can't tell you, like I've had lists of guests who've asked to come on and sometimes I lose the list. It's just idiotic, right? And so I have partnered, shout out to Christina and other people at Amazon who are like the logistics and the understanding of how you need to operationalize something and have a process for something, which is so foreign to me inherently in my personality type, uh, is exactly what you're talking about with having a founder. You know, you have someone who, who thinks big, who dreams big, and then you have someone that's like, that's great, but where do we get the funding? 
Who do we talk to? You know, like having all, because different people are great at different things. And having that in life, having that in coworkers, and certainly having that in a business, I think is absolutely critical for success. You know, we're all in this together. So thank you for, for saying that. Yeah, Rodrigo, thank you so much for coming to today's podcast. And uh, if listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to contact you? I think the best way is to connect on LinkedIn and we can start the conversation there. And uh, OutSystems, uh, I'll put the URL in and you want to give a shout out to the website? Yeah, it's www.outsystems.com. You have all the information there uh, about who we, who we are, uh, all the things we've been talking about, what is low code. We have explanations there also if you're still curious and want more details. Uh, you can start our courses if you're interested in becoming a, a, a low-code expert. Uh, and of course, you, you get the ability to try out our p- platform for free. So you can give it a go, see if it matches what you need, and just take it for a spin uh, before you do a full commit. Yeah, and I really also like your YouTube. You have a playlist there on how to build applications using AWS integrations mm-hmm. and integrate with AWS services. I really like that. Oh, I'll have to add that. Yeah, (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to you both. I admire you so much. And I really appreciate this is a a great conversation. And I think it's very uh, apropos for the time in which we are right now, 2023. And I'm excited for the future. I hope that as people listen to this episode, they will be too, because it's never been a better time to, to be a developer and to create. We're so empowered right now with these tools. So thank you to you both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.